in the early hour of the morning, and in that first day, Egypt's total air force was brought nigh to zero. Even though they had aircraft that were capable of speeds up to Mach 2, and bombers that were capable of mass destruction in the cities and military bases in Israel. Now, that was achieved by skillful warfare and superior jet air power. 3,500 years earlier, Gideon matched such an event in one night. Our short devotional today is on Psalm 2 verse 8, and it says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Why pray? God is sovereign over all things, and all things work together by prayer. Can you prove this? Do you pray? Do you thank God for your food? Do you thank God for your conversion? Do you pray for the conversion of others? This is a great intro to the whole doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Psalm 2 is such a chapter showing that God is working to a plan. It's called a decree in verse 7. The verses 1 to 5 show the angry mob of rebellious worldly leaders or kings. And verse 6, Jehovah speaks of his appointment of his king, King Jesus, to rule and reign over the nations. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. In this verse 7, the son speaks of the terms of this decree, this plan to save men out of the world. It says here, ask of me. Now, the son is God's appointed king. He is the begotten of the father. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, that could be a reference to the day of resurrection, when the Lord will rise from the dead, and he will display his mighty power over his kingdom. And then, of course, the day of his entrance into glory, on that day, no doubt the Lord Jesus demonstrated that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we learn that the Son is given a spiritual kingdom or dominion. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The Father gives the Son the reward of his work of redemption. He gives to his son souls, lost souls. They are diverse because they are made up of all the nations of the world, and they are many, many souls. Indeed, the Bible tells us that the number is so many, they are innumerable. They cannot be counted. Then also we have the Father's reward of the Son's work to be claimed by prayer. Ask of me, this is the Father saying to his Son, Ask of me. And here we see the sovereignty of God in the whole scheme of redemption. God is the planner. The Lord Jesus, the Son, is the servant 
who fulfills every obligation of this divine arrangement in the covenant of grace, this arrangement between the Father and the Son. Now, this is Reformed biblical doctrine. This is different from man-made notions of man-centered salvation that suggest that God does so much, now we are to do so much. No, this is all of God from A to Z. But in the mix with all this sovereign arrangement is the call to prayer. You will see how the Son is called to to ask of the Father. This is the intercessory prayer ministry of the Lord Jesus. We will see this fulfilled in John 17, that high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord commands us also to pray in his name. John 16, 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. So this is a cue for us. The Lord's prayer life as our head and representative is a model for our prayer lives. Prayer and the sovereignty of God in salvation go together. When God is going to work in the world to build his church, he will set his people a-praying. And so let us go to our knees. Let us cry to God for precious souls, for the building of his church, and for his kingdom to be extended.
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church. And I want us just to bow in prayer for a moment that the Lord may lead us to cry out for souls. The Bible says, Ask, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Let's unite in prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name. You have called us to ask. Ask, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And we know, our Father, that this was your word to your Son, and that our Lord Jesus constantly continues his high priestly ministry, praying for his church. We here on earth as thy servants and thy people, we call upon thy name to build thy church and save many from a lost eternity. We pray that souls will be plucked as brands from the fire and that you will bring glory to your own name in adding to your kingdom such as should be saved. Bless us, strengthen us, use us for thy kingdom work, and may your name be exalted. We pray for Jesus' sake. Thank you for staying with us as we turn now to our message on Judges 7-7. May the Lord bless you through his word. There is a text I want to choose tonight, although I do also want to rehearse the whole great story of Gideon defeating the Midianites. Uh, but the text is verse 7, chapter 7-7. Seven, seven. That's an easy one to remember, 7-7. Seven, seven. And the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men that have lapped, will I save you? I'm sure you've heard about the Israeli Six-Day War. It took place in June 1967, when in those few days, Israel wiped out three of its major enemies that had schemed and plotted to wipe Israel off the map. Those countries are Syria, Egypt, and Jordan. And although those countries were backed by Russian-made weaponry and consultants, advisors, pilots from various Arab nations, Israel, through their clandestine and smart intelligence, struck first with preemptive strikes in the early hour of the morning. And in that first day, Egypt's total air force was brought nigh to zero. Even though they had aircraft that were capable of speeds up to Mach 2 and bombers that were capable of mass destruction in the cities and military bases in Israel. Now, that was achieved by skillful warfare and superior jet air power. 3,500 years earlier, Gideon matched such an event in one night. Again, against three forces. They were the Midianites, the Amalekites, and these children of the East, as they are generally grouped. We are told here that they were in size as grasshoppers spread across the valley against Israel. They were devastating, and they were ready to pounce upon Israel and bring them again into further oppression. 
Now Gideon comes to the scene. He was visited by an angel when he was threshing wheat, and he was hiding the wheat because the Midianite marauders would come and they would just destroy the crops and take all the, the fruits and they would leave Israel empty and barren. But the Lord met with Gideon and Gideon was stirred up in his soul to stand up for God. It got him into a lot of trouble. And as I told you a little about the change of his name, he became a Baal destroyer. And his own people were so given over to their Baal worship that they were mightily upset with Gideon and they were going to lynch him. They were going to have his head. And his father stood up for him and said, let Baal plead for himself if he is such a mighty God. And it was Gideon that, this, that uh, demonstrated that Baal was a powerless idol and of absolutely no worth whatsoever. And it was during this time that God in his providence raised up these Midianites to chastise Israel for her idolatry. You do believe, don't you, that God chastises his children? Every father chastises his own son. If you're not chastised, what are you? You are not a true son. Israel were truly God's people, but they were disobedient. They had become Baal worshippers, many of them, and God raised up these Midianites to chastise them. And here we see them. Early in chapter 7, they are spread across this valley, and they are coming to destroy Israel. Now, God stirs up Gideon's heart to uh, go against the Midianites and to stand up for the Lord, but he's not sure. And at the end of chapter 6, you have the incident of the soaking of the fleece. And Gideon, he puts out a fleece and says, Now, Lord, if this is really a sign from you, if this is your will that we go against the Midianites, then let all the dew fall upon the fleece, the sheep's fleece that is put out. And in the morning when he went to it, he wrung out the water, the dampness that fell upon the fleece. That was a sign. And then uh, Gideon said, I'm still not sure. Uh, will you show me again? And this time, would you cause the dew to fall upon the ground around the fleece and make the fleece stay dry? And sure enough, in the morning, he came to the fleece and he went to wring the water out of it and it was dry. And it was at that moment like an electric shock that this man is now stirred with all his passion to take on the Midianites according to the will of God. But there's a problem, and the problem is man's pride. And God says to Gideon, you have 32,000 men. They are far too many. If I allow you a victory with all this manpower, men will say, we got the victory by ourselves. And you have in the verse 2, of chapter 7, this word, lest Israel vaunt themselves or boast of themselves 
against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. There's something very proud about military activity. It's the pride of a nation. You see it in North Korea these days. You see it in Russia. You see it in May 1st. You see it in many countries. They want to show off their stuff, their firepower. They parade their armies. Armies create pride. God hates pride. And God was going to demonstrate that he will not use the flesh and the proud ways of men. And so God eliminates so many, from 32,000 right down to uh, 10,000, and then down to 300. Now, this seems so ridiculous. What kind of leadership is this? We must ask tonight, what is this about? God works with small numbers and with chosen instruments, but they must be useful men as instruments. That's the lesson. The church today is like a little Israel. We are set about with great enemies and forces, and the church needs to do battle, needs to stand up for God and truth, but where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the men that God can use? I want to set before you three things tonight from this account, especially this text, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you. First of all, God sifts for useful men. Secondly, God seeks our submission to his will. Thirdly, God shows how he uses choice vessels. Do we want to be used of God? That's a great question on this first day of a new year. Do we want to be used of God? I think there's a lot for us to learn from this very passage. Firstly, God sifts for useful men. This reduction in numbers was a most strange event. He eliminates, verse 3, he eliminates, firstly, the fearful. The fearful. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early. Let him go. How natural it is to fear when you are facing the enemy. Oh, it's easy to be at ease and to brag and boast of what we might do when we are carpet generals. But when you're in the battle, when you are looking upon the enemy and seeing them approach, then it is natural to be fearful. And there's the operative word, underlying the word natural. In our own natural, carnal, human state, we are unfit to be servants of God. We need to be filled full of faith, not fear, not this ridiculous looking at ourselves. Now, this other problem is that fear is contagious. When one deserts his post, 
it may well cause panic and others also to desert. And that's why in many military modes of discipline, the deserter is shot right on the spot with summary execution because men must see that deserters do not survive, either out of the ranks or in the ranks. And the Lord would say to these people, we can't afford any spirit of fear. Those that are fearful, let them go. Let them go. What a message this is to every one of us tonight. We are called to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus. And when we confessed his name and when we were baptized as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we set our hearts to be faithful, loyal soldiers of the cross. But if we tonight are fearful, we cannot serve the Lord as he should. Then also he eliminated the careless. Now this was a little more difficult, and it all came to this test at drinking at the river, the water test. And those who knelt down you read of this over in verse 5, verse 6. Those who knelt down as they drank, they were eliminated. And it was those who scooped up the water and they drank it without kneeling down while they were erect and watchful. That was the test. That was the test. Now, before we send anyone away from our ranks tonight, what does this mean in present-day Christianity? The Lord wanted these 300 men who were watchful. Christians are commanded to watch. We've learned that already this morning. We are to watch against the world. In this situation of Gideon and his small army now of just 300 men, there were, they were in close proximity to the enemy, and uh, just over the hill at this very juncture, there were the Midianites. They may come full force at any time. And any man who would kneel down and be caught off guard was unsuited for the task. Is it not the church's work to tell the young Christian and each Christian that the world cannot be your friend anymore? that you can never afford to be off guard, that let down your guard and cease to be watchful against the enmity, the hatred, the betrayal, and the malice of the world. That is a lesson that each and every young Christian must learn. And if we don't learn it, we can never be useful to God. How can we serve the Lord and his church if we are off guard? How many times uh, in the New Testament is the Christian not commanded to watch? Watch! Are you? Are we going to be useful to God because of our watching against the world? Then also we are also commanded to watch over our own personal state of heart. When the Lord came to the church at Sardis, he said to them, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The church at Sardis had ceased to watch its own worship, its own spiritual condition, 
And there is a time that every Christian must examine himself, not just to see if he's in the faith, but to see if he is truly watching over his own heart. Maybe you have let the guard down. Maybe you have allowed your heart to be exposed to temptation and things that ought not to be. We also to watch for one another. Think of these men as they were lapping up the water. Uh, they were not only in danger personally, but every one of them ought to have been watching out for each other. That's proper soldiery. It's proper camaraderie. And in the Christian church, we need that watching for one another. And when we see one Christian that's in danger, one Christian that is perhaps fainting or falling, we need to be there by his side watching, observing. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. How much of that is happening today? Watching for men's souls. You see, we've become so self-centered, self-focused. We want the church to be a place where it's gimme, gimme, gimme. All I need for myself. But our real task is to watch out for one another, our brother and sister in Christ. And as we learned this morning, God's people need our prayers. That's why we need to be praying and watching. And Paul said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. That's the watching that we may be useful unto God. And so I glean from this here tonight that if we are to be useful, we're to be men and women of faith and watching. We move now to God seeks our submission. And that section would be verse 9 right down to verse 15. And here you'll notice that uh, Gideon obeys the Lord. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, Get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. And so here now is the very event that we've been looking for and waiting upon. And here poor Gideon is to go right down, tiptoeing around the camp, listening within earshot. And that's very important because of what he hears. And this is the first lesson for the Christian in God's service that if we're going to be useful, we must be submitted to his every will. And now Gideon is to arise and to go down. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. 
We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music